Hello, and welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. We are a community of dreamers, doubters, and seekers rooted in and around Minneapolis, seeking to be alive through the words, actions, and presence of Jesus. Wherever you find yourself, however you found us, welcome. Whether you're joining us for the first time or the 101st, we are so thankful that you'd invite us along into your day and walk the journey of being human together. Let these conversations encourage, awaken, challenge, and inspire you to live from your truest and most beloved self. So settle in, and again, welcome to Upper Room. Multiply by 14 and you got a 71-year-old's grief. That is really ugly. Let me tell you. Uh, hey, I got a frame tonight um, because um, I think it's important. You might have noticed we're sitting different. There's a reason for that. and It'll be evident in just a second. But... Um, Todd invited me to be a part of these last weeks, uh, about six weeks ago, ballpark. And um, he not only asked me to be a part of it, but then he gave me a passage and a title. And in all candor, I wouldn't have picked either one. <laughs> but being the compliant, obedient person that I am, um, and then um, Bonnie and I, decided um, way last year that with our 50th anniversary at the end of 2022, we would celebrate by going to the Netherlands. I knew this was going to happen. I hate it when that happens. Go to the Netherlands and Belgium because Bonnie and I, get this, are both 100% Dutch. Now, that is rare. Okay, let's just be honest. That's rare. Our kids have screwed the whole thing up. But we maintained the mantle, okay? So we went to the Netherlands the day after Easter and came back Tuesday. And because my Gallup strengths are strategic achiever and activator, I decided within the two weeks after Todd asked me to write this message, then it's done, okay? Good. I can go relax I did take a copy along. I thought, well, I might look at it, but I never looked at it the whole time. And then Tuesday morning hit. We set the alarm for 5.30 to catch our flight back to the Twin Cities. And I found myself awake at 2.30. And for the next two and a half hours... I worshiped. I lay there. It was the most profound sense of the presence of the Spirit I've ever had in my life. And the first thing I heard the Spirit say was, Marlon, you know that message you wrote? Let's put that aside. And you need to listen. 
And I could see us in worship. And this is how we were. Because we need to see each other. Don't be afraid to look around. We need to see each other in these final weeks. And so that frames what is going on here today. And I thought that was enough. And then this morning I thought, you know, Carol spoke last week. It might be good for me to listen to what she had to say just in case I repeat or who knows what happens. And lo and behold, she speaks on Peter. <laughs> and I'm speaking from the first letter of Peter. I don't think that just happens. You may have noticed the notes in front of you. And they're there because of what I found James Finley saying, especially the last four words. Maybe there's another way. Boy, that's hard for me to hear. Because I can be pretty confident that I got it put together and I know the way forward. And I'm just going to be up front. I have no clue what is before us. But I choose to believe it's good. So the note paper is there, not because I want you to take notes of anything I say, because it'll be pretty short that way. But through the years of teaching and preaching, numerous times have, I've had people several weeks later say to me, you know, that, that sermon you preached, and then they'll refer to it, I really appreciate what you said. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, my memory's not great, but I don't, I've even referred back to notes and going, I don't think I ever said that. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit can speak and will speak to you while this is going on. So that is there for you, not because I'm going to share anything super incredibly profound, but something I say might tweak something for you, might land for you, and you say, hmm, i got to think about that. i got, I got to take that with me. And that's the Spirit of God speaking to you, folks. So that's why it's there. All right, let's dive in. Um, I will say this, when Todd asked me, I drove back from coffee, and the first thing that entered my mind was not 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10, because I didn't know what it was, hadn't looked it up yet. But I drove home, and my favorite verse came to mind, Romans 12, 1. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so the framing question for tonight is this. What has the Western church valued more, conforming or transforming? I know my answer to that, especially after being in Europe for two weeks and stepping into numerous churches and hearing how the power dy dynamics between religion and business and politics were interplaying and there were seats for the rich and then the middle class, and we even visited a church in Bruges, Belgium, where the church, the church did not allow poor people to come in. They could stay outside. 
And I'll be honest, at one point in time, I left the church and I said to Bonnie, I am really struggling here because I'm feeling like this whole cotton-picking thing has been a hoax. Because we have sought conformity. Fitting in the box, coloring inside the lines, and anytime it sniffs like transformation, we know somebody's going to think we're getting way too serious about this. It's getting way, okay, we're getting out there a little bit. We got to tone it back in. I see some heads shaking. You know what I'm talking about. So tonight we're going to read our passage three times. And I decided I'm going to split it up. We're not going to read it back to back. We're going to read it three times as we journey through tonight. And we're going to listen from three different versions because something might pop for you that you didn't hear in one of them, okay? So the first time through, just think about your first impressions. It's from the New American Standard Bible. And Peter writes this, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient, disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay. Living stones. You want to take a stab at explaining it? <laughs> to help. I brought a stone out of our garden. If I had known how far it was, well, actually, I know how far it is. If I had paid attention to how far it is from the car to here, I would have picked a smaller one. <laughs> a stone. Is it living? No. Is it dead? Careful you answer. Because if it's dead... It infers that it was once alive. 
And trust me, that stone has never been alive. The closest I've come to a word, and I don't know how close it is, but the word that surfaced Tuesday morning was it's inert. Inertia is a property of matter in which it will remain at rest until external forces act upon it. If we left tonight and left it there, and nobody from the meeting house touched it, we could come back tomorrow and know where the stone is, right? It's going to be right there. We come back next week. We come back next month. We can come back next year. We come back in 10 years. In fact, we could come back in 100 years or 200 years or 2,000 years, and that stone would be right there unless some external force came to play. Friends, this is a paradox of all paradox. A paradox is a statement in which seemingly contradictory or opposed ideas come together and somehow in coming together convey something that neither word can convey. How can the inert be living? Well, friends, welcome to Christianity. How can it be that when we're weak, we're strong? How is it that the last will be first? Can you explain how the greatest is the least? What in the world did Jesus mean when he said the one who's going to lose his life will gain it? And the one who gains his life will lose it. Following Jesus Christ is all about paradox, folks. It does not make sense. And the older I get, the less sense it makes. And the greater my faith has grown. So I found the Spirit asking me Tuesday morning, have you paid any attention to who Peter's writing to? Never crossed my mind. So I got out the Bible. It's always good to turn to it when you're speaking on the Bible. And looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, and he's writing to the aliens. And he cites five different regions of what today is Turkey. Historically, it's been known as Asia Minor, but that's the geographic area. He's identifying five different areas to the aliens in these areas, the foreigners, the strangers. The word he uses is xenos, X-E-N-O-X, S. I hate words that start with X. I can't say that. But we get xenophobia from that. We've all heard that, right? The fear of strangers. But in digging into xenos, I found something fascinating. And I'm thinking to myself, now, why didn't they use those words? Because they, the translators have used foreigners, strangers, aliens. We kind of go, people not like us. But there's a positive meaning to xenos. That means ally, lifelong friend. 
I'm choosing to believe that Peter is talking to his allies who, yes, were not recognized as the people around those areas, but for Peter, they were lifelong friends. And then we get to chapter 2, and he says, Therefore, so because of this relationship, therefore, and the first words out of his mouth are these, get rid of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. How way to pump up a crowd. We're not going to do that, Peter says. Malice means payback. Deceit, it's that old bait and switch game. Hypocrisy, in Greek, it's hypocrisy. Our words and actions are misaligned. Envy, jealousy. Oh, if we could only be like. Slander, defamation, speaking ill of another. And Peter, right out of the gate, says, as we move forward, we're stopping that. Now, what struck me as I'm spending this time Tuesday morning is, the words that I'm supposed to speak on, this admonition from Peter, is from Peter. It doesn't sound like the Peter I know. It doesn't sound like the Peter from the Gospels. If we did a man or woman on the street survey and, and they knew at least something about Peter, excuse me, sir, uh, when you hear the word Apostle Peter, what comes to mind? I'm sorry? The rock, okay? Denial? Compulsive. Now we're getting closer. Stubborn. Okay, now you're describing me. What else? He's brash. He's cocky. I mean, you talk about self-assured. This guy got out of a boat to walk on water because Jesus was walking on water. That brings to mind a word that he was nuts. This Peter, bold, brash, cocky, impulsive. Jesus invites Peter, James, and John onto a mountain, and they see Jesus in all of his glory. And what does Peter say? Let's build a building. Let's build a shrine. Let's go here, guys. Let's memorialize this. Jesus shares with his followers, the Son of Man's going up to Jerusalem and he's going to lay down his life. And Peter goes, no, 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 not on my watch. And the scripture says he rebuked Jesus. Kyle, you're wrong. That's in essence what he's saying. And then he goes on, if that weren't enough, but he says, you know what? It's not only not going to happen on my watch. All of these people, they're going to fall away. Not me. And the night of the Lord's Supper, who's the one disciple who says, you ain't washing my feet? It's Peter. And in the garden, as they came to arrest Jesus, who's the apostle who grabbed a sword and said, shall we fight? It was Peter. And it was that guy who was saying, we're going to stop payback, bait and switch, hypocrisy, Jealousy, defamation. We're done with that. 
friends, if you haven't picked up by now, we are not talking about the same Peter that Carol talked about last week, and tonight we're looking at what he wrote. Because we are now encountering Peter approximately 35 years later than on the shore of Galilee. A lot happens in 35 years. How many of you were not even here 35 years ago? Oh, I knew you. I knew some people raised their hand. How many of you are 35, 36 in that range, in your 30s? Okay. All right, 35 years ago, that was you. That's scary, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Can you imagine yourself 35 years from now? I never could. I can't imagine that. Well, I don't have to imagine that. that ain't, I doubt that's going to happen. Okay? If I'm here at 106, trust me, I'll be preaching, okay? <laughs> Friends, we're encountering a Peter who has grown out of shaping how he wanted God to be into a person who now fully understood that he was a follower who was being shaped by dramatically different. And I would suggest humans have spent eternity or the beginning of time, since the beginning of time, we have been shaping God into our image far more than we have been allowing God to shape us into the people he wants us to be. So the first thing that I encourage us to ponder is what do I need to stop Take that with you. Let's read again from the message. So clean house. Make a clean sweep of malice and pretense, envy and hurtful talk. You've had a taste of God. Now like infants at the breast, drink deep of God's pure kindness. Then you'll grow up mature and whole in God. Welcome to the living stone, the source of life. The workman took one look, threw it out. God set it in the place of honor. Present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life in which you'll serve as holy priests offering God, offering Christ-approved lives up to God. The scriptures provide precedent. Look, I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone in the place of honor. Whoever trusts in this stone as a foundation will never have cause to regret it. To you who trust him, He's a stone to be proud of. But to those who refuse to trust him, the stone the workman threw out is now the chief foundation stone. For the untrusting, it's a stone to trip over, a boulder blocking the way. They trip and fall because they refuse to obey, just as predicted. But you are the ones chosen by God. Chosen for the high calling of priestly work. Chosen to be a holy people. God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him. To tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. From nothing to something. From rejected to accepted. I'm going to encourage you over the next week. Pull out First Peter. 
chapter 2 and read this over and over and over and begin thinking about, so what's landing for me? What is making me go, hmm? Tuesday morning, a question was posed to me. Where did the idea of Jesus being a living stone come from? Now, there's a question for a trivia contest, isn't it? I trust you remember Peter is not this man's birth name. What was his birth name? Simon. So let's go to the point in the scripture where he receives a new name. And just to frame this, Jesus has asked his followers, so what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? And this is what we read unfolding. Simon answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I also say to you that you are now Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the Spirit asked me, so Marlon, what is the rock? And I gave my catechism answer, which is, it's Peter. In fact, the Catholic Church, who's the first pope? Peter which has to be news to Peter. I mean, he died a couple hundred years before the first pope ever showed up. But that typically, we read this and we say, no, he's talking to Peter and he says, and Peter, you're now a rock and upon this rock, I'm gonna build my church. Oh man, if that were the case, we were in a world of hurt. I don't think it's Peter. I don't even think it's, con it's his confession. But what I sense Tuesday morning is a very firm conviction the rock is Jesus. He's the only one in this whole crazy thing called life who is worthy of standing on. And I think over 35 years of experience and reflection and going, what in the world did he really no, he wasn't talking about me, and he wasn't talking about the words I said. I think over his lifetime, Peter began to fully realize that Jesus is the stone. In fact, Jesus is the living stone. So why would he put living with stone? Well, he had heard Jesus say crazy things like, I am living water. What? I'm living bread? Okay. I'm living hope. Hmm. The word Peter uses here for living is the Greek word zantes, Z-O-N-T-E-S. There are two words, it turns out, in Greek for life, for living. One is bios, B-I-O-S. We've heard of biosphere, right? Bios refers to natural life. It's simply existing. It's the life we live. All of us are living bios bios, <laughs> biased, but bios lives, okay? And 
He uses zantes, which is from the word zoe, Z-O-E, and it means literally life that is creative, productive, thriving, abundant. And who said, I have come to give you life that you may have it more abundant? And do you realize Jesus said that to living people? Another head scratcher. I can swear I'm alive. And he's come to give life. He's talking about something very, very different here. And he's talking about an abundance, a creativity, a productivity, a thriving that none of us can manufacture. This living stone is a cornerstone. Now, cornerstone, I did some research. Cornerstones aren't really used today. You'll find cornerstones on building, but they're really decorative. They're commemorative. But in ancient times, the cornerstone was a perfectly squared off stone that was the first stone to be set. And everything from that building was placed in relationship to the cornerstone. Matt, why don't you put up the next line? What do I have here? What are they? Squares. How many? Good, you're with me. It's going to get very complex in a minute. So, okay, the three squares. Let's see the next slide. Now, what are they? All their bases. What changed? You saw home plate. I could have put a fourth square up there. You still want to know what it was, right? I came across a fascinating article that takes this idea of the cornerstone and tries to build bridges to today by using baseball. And I love baseball, and I've played baseball, and my kids have played baseball, and my grandkid plays baseball, and I did not know this. Why are the angles on the home plate? If you're creating a game with four bases, why isn't home plate square? That's a good question. Because you lay out a big square, and then what did the inventors of baseball do? They took that perfect 90 by 90 square and turned it on a point, and it became a what? Diamond. And that home plate square at the bottom of the diamond, it screwed up everything because now that 18-inch wide plate had become wider because it's going across point to point I might have been able to pitch in the major leagues if it was wider. And so the inventors decided to lop off at 45-degree angles the backside of the base so it would fit in the bottom of the diamond. But get this. To this day, the angles of home plate form the foul lines. Home plate shapes the entire playing field. You know when Peter talks about brilliant light, it's kind of like when the light bulb comes on. This for me was one of the, say what? I get that. I get that. Jesus, the living home plate in our vernacular. We took a number of bus tours while we were in Europe. 
And if you've ever been on a tour like that, at some point in time they stop and you get a couple hours to yourself to wander around these cities where you've never been. And then they tell you, and don't be late. We're going to meet back right here at, and they give you time. And you don't know where you are. You don't know where you're going. So how do you find your way back? I took out my phone and I dropped a pin. So we could go off for two hours and enjoy ourselves, and I could just simply pull up Google Maps and the drop pin and the route from my current destination to the drop pin, and we made it back every time. And Tuesday morning, I felt the Spirit saying to me, Jesus is your living dropped pin. He's always your touch point. He's always your reference point. Out of 35 years of integrating his trust in Jesus, Peter in this passage is speaking out of transformation, not conformation. He has been shaped by the words, actions, example, and presence of Jesus. And it is Jesus, the cornerstone, the home plate, the drop pin, who is his sure foundation. So the question for us is, so how am I being shaped right now? And who's shaping me? And what's shaping me? Let's read it a third time. From the voice, so get rid of hatefulness and deception, of insincerity and jealousy and slander. Be like newborn babies crying out for spiritual milk. That It will help you grow into salvation if you have tasted and found the Lord to be good. Come to him, the living stone, you who was rejected by people, but accepted by God as chosen and precious. Like living stones, let yourselves be assembled into a spiritual house, a holy order of priests who offer up spiritual sacrifices that will be acceptable to God through Jesus the anointed. For it says in the words of the prophet Isaiah, so here, I'm laying a Zion, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever depends upon him will never be disgraced. To you who believe and depend on him, he is precious. But to you who don't, remember the words of the psalmist. The stone that the builders rejected has been laid as the cornerstone, the very stone that holds together the entire foundation. And of Isaiah, a stone that blocks their way, a rock that trips them. They stumble because they don't follow the word of God as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen people. Set aside to be a royal order of priests, a holy nation, God's own, so, you, so that you may proclaim the wondrous acts of the one who called you out of inky darkness into shimmering light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received it. It's time to personalize this. It's time to get it down to our lives. So Tuesday morning, the question that was circulating in my mind for probably half of that time, where does this notion that we are living stones come from? 
It's one thing to extrapolate and say, okay, Jesus being the rock, but now he's talking about us. And where would that come from? Oh, as I listened to Carol's message this morning, I found myself thinking from John chapter 21, don't go there, Carol, don't go there, Carol, don't, don't give away the punchline, don't, and she didn't. <laughs> because three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Three times he answered, yes. But that is not the last thing Jesus said to Peter. Here's the last thing Peter's, or Jesus said to Peter. You know, Peter, when you were younger, you would dress yourself and go wherever you please. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. And someone else will dress you. And they'll take you to a place you do not want to go. just say it. I don't want to go where we're going. But we're going. The rock had no say in being here today. I brought the rock. And Peter had no say in where he was writing this letter from. This Galilean fisherman was writing from the capital of the most powerful empire on the face of the earth, Rome. What? From a boat on the Sea of Galilee to the halls of Rome? If Jesus had said that after, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, Peter said, oh, yeah, right, like I'm going to Rome. Get a life, Jesus. But this isn't the only time in 35 years that Peter found himself in an unexpected place. 53 days after he denied Jesus. Think about it. 53 days. That's just March 6. 53 days before or after he had denied Jesus, Peter's in Jerusalem with 120 followers, and they're worshiping. And the spirit falls, and the pilgrims in Jerusalem start hearing these people speak in a language that sounds like theirs. How do you explain this? And who stands up? Peter. And he explains the life of Jesus and how this is the promised Holy Spirit. And over 3,000 people responded that day to the living stone, Peter. And later, he and James and John are headed to the temple, and there's a man born lame, and he cries out, have mercy on me. And Peter says, silver and gold, I don't have that. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And he walked. Sixty days, two months, after saying, heck no, I don't know him. Peter finds himself in these unexpected places. Later, he preaches again, and over 5,000 respond. Within a matter of weeks and months, the 120 had become over 8,000 people. Not because of Peter the stone, but because Peter the living stone, the Zontest stone. 
And because of that second sermon, he was thrown in prison. And at night, he is visited by an angel. And he walks out of that prison untouched and every door breaking open in front of him. Oh, the Spirit of God wasn't done, folks, with this stone. Because in Acts chapter 10, verse 11, he gets a message from a Roman centurion. Think about that. Who killed Jesus? The Romans headed by a centurion. And he gets a message from a Roman centurion who says, during the night, the spirit, something happened. And I was told to reach out to you. Would you come and explain this? And Peter, this one who shied away from a little handmaid, accusing him of being a follower, says, heck no, I'm not. He goes to a Roman centurion and shares Jesus, the living cornerstone with this man and his entire household becomes followers. Friends, my gosh, in America, we don't get this at all. Especially the church in America doesn't get this, but we got to get it. Peter had learned. He had nothing to do with where he found himself. And that flies in the face of us Americans. Oh, man, we want to control everything. But he had been taken places he could have never imagined. He had been used in ways he couldn't have fathomed. And he had certainly lived 35 years in ways that he had never, ever asked for. That's what transformation is about. Because the focus is changed from us, these inert rocks, to living. And Tuesday morning, another question was posed. I love how the Spirit asks questions rather than gives answers. So what had shaped his life? What had changed the lifeless, powerless Simon into the living Peter? I told you before, Zantes, life that is creative, productive. I have come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. How then do we tend to the life that is in us, folks? How do we do that individually? How do we do that collectively? Don't leave that here today. Take that with you, that third reflection question. And I stopped Carol's message, and I had to replay it three times because I wanted to get this right. Here's what she said last week, and it fits right here. The way we love through this loss will shape our capacity to be present to life. Amen. The life of Peter speaks to that. The way we love through this loss will shape our capacity to be present to life. Oh, we got to wrap this up. Hey, I had two and a half hours. I'm trying to condense here, okay? Five days after Todd met with me and asked me to speak, I took a hearing test. I finally admitted what numerous people around me knew long before I did. 
that there was a lot of things I was missing. It's actually kind of nice, but anyway. <laughs> so I went for a hearing test. And Tuesday morning, of all things, and I trust me, I would never have made the connection, but I sensed the Spirit saying to me, Marlon, upper room needs a hearing test. Do you know how a hearing test works? You go to Costco, in my case, <laughs> and you clean your ears out before you go. And there's a variety of things that you do. There's beeps and noises and all that kind of stuff. But then you get to a point where the technician puts something over your ears so you can't hear anything. You're asked to close your eyes and just listen. And in each ear, you'll hear a series of 25 words in your right ear, then 25 different words in your left ear, and you'll hear, say the word, and then you repeat the word out loud for the technician to hear. Quite frankly, it was kind of relaxing. And Tuesday morning, the Spirit said to me, Marlon, do you realize how many times Jesus said he was here to hear? Let him hear. I suck at listen, especially to the Spirit. So we're going to close by conducting the first and maybe only hearing test. Since we only got three more weeks, it's probably safe to say that, right? We're going to have an upper room hearing test. Because as we step into this next chapter, without the form of upper room, I think we need to hear some phrases and we need to repeat some very important things that come out of this teaching today. So I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes where you are. And I'm going to say, say the phrase, and I want you to say it out loud so this technician can hear it, this slightly hard of hearing technician. You got it? Just close your eyes. Say the phrase, I am a living stone. Say the phrase, I am a chosen person. Say the phrase, I am a royal priest. Say the phrase, I am a holy nation. Say the phrase, I am God's own possession. Say the phrase, I live in his marvelous light. Say the phrase, I have received mercy. And say the phrase, I am a living stone. Well, friends, that part of the hearing test went quite well. The next one you're going to find a little daunting, okay? Because for, I don't know, considerable amount of time, I was laying there in protest going, no, no, I'm not going to ask that of upper room. And it wouldn't leave me. And I said, well, I'm not going to ask that because some people are going to cry. It's okay to cry. 
And some people might want to kneel. It's okay to kneel. And some people might want to raise their arms in the shape of foul lines. It makes a great position for praise. You ever notice that? If so, raise your hands in praise. But I'm going to ask us to stand. And you may have noticed, before you stand, you may have noticed that around this rock are works of art from Michelle and Bonnie, made from stones. And these dead, no, these lifeless, inert stones have come to life in these beautiful works of art. And as we close, I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes for this hearing test. I'm going to ask you to look at this display and hanging over the cross are is a prayer necklace made of stones. Here's lots of stuff you can do with stones, folks. And just focus your eyes here for the hearing test. And like I said, if you need to cry, cry. If you need to laugh, laugh. If you need to praise, praise. If you need to kneel, kneel. Because this is our time, and we're going to pass this test, okay? None of the, okay? Are you with me? Can I count on you? All right, stand up. The band can come forward because we're going to sing like we've never sung before, okay? Here's our final hearing test. Take a deep breath. Breathe in Zantes, abundance, creative, productive. Say the phrase, we are living stones. Say the phrase, we are chosen people. Say the phrase, we are a royal priesthood. Say the phrase, we are a holy nation. Say the phrase, we are God's own possession. Say the phrase, we live in his marvelous light. Say the phrase, we have received mercy. Brothers and sisters in Christ, say the phrase, we are living stones. Continue to focus here. I've written a prayer for our transformation journey. Oh, God, comfortable would we be if you gave us formulas to employ or standards to maintain. But your call is to step beyond conformity and journey into transformation. But honestly, God, as we face the closing of our beloved Upper Room community, that calling feels easier said than done. Fear, worry, oh, they creep in so easily. And sometimes we struggle to see you or maybe we just can't find the one we assumed you would be. Lord Jesus, our living cornerstone, undergird us with truth.
you have not abandoned us. You have not forgotten us. You have not turned your back on us. You are preparing a place for us. Give us the courage to press on, moving forward with trust in the hope that you are transforming us and transforming our world. May our eyes see. May our ears hear your word, reminding us that we stand on you, our living stone. And friends, I trust you're going to understand what I'm about to ask of you because I'm changing the words, but here we go. And all God's living stones said, Come on, amen. <laughs> we'll try that again. And all God's living stones said, amen. amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us in today's conversation. We are so grateful that you invite us along on your journey. No matter where you're listening from, you are a part of our community, and we love to get the word out to others who are walking this path as well. Some ways you can help us do that is to hit subscribe on whichever app that you listen to podcasts. Also, take a moment to leave us a review. The more positive reviews, the more we are able to get the word out and share these conversations with others who are companions on the journey. If you've been encouraged here, please consider supporting our work by becoming a monthly sustainer. Monthly giving is the best way to ensure that we can continue to provide meaningful conversations and community, both in person and online. To give in any amount, simply go to youareminneapolis.org slash give. That's youareminneapolis.org slash give. And now, wherever your day takes you, may you know that you are God's beloved. And in that truth, find yourself ever more alive in the words, actions, and presence of Jesus. Go in peace, friends.